Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 5, verses 13 through 31, with Pastor John King. Good morning, everybody. Well, today we are going to finish up chapter 5 in Daniel. We're going to cover verses 13 through 31. We remember last week we began the chapter with an introduction of this guy Belshazzar the king. He was called the king. And we noticed that he made a very fateful decision to host a lavish feast with a thousand of his lords along with all their wives and concubines. Um, we learned that this event was held in the year 539 B.C. It had been 23 years since the great king Nebuchadnezzar had passed away. During that time, there were four successors in the kingdom of Babylon. You may have heard their names, Evil Merodach, Nereglaser, Labashi Marduk, and Nabonidus. Something, names you use each and every day, I'm sure. <laughs> now, Nabonidus was the father of this Belshazzar the king. So he wasn't actually a king, he was more like a co-regent. And his sphere of influence was over the entire city of Babylon. He had great power over the city of Babylon. Now, there's two serious problems we learned last week with this young prince's decision-making. You know, our decision-making can echo into, right into eternity, for that matter. First of all, we saw that, historically speaking, this king chose to throw a party while his city was surrounded by the Medo-Persian army of Cyrus. Even though the city appeared to be, in his eyes, impregnable, and to many, that would prove to be false on this very day. His second poor decision-making was related in the Bible and in the text we had from last week. We noticed that Belshazzar was so arrogant and prideful that you throw that, you combine arrogance and pride with a whole bunch of wine drinking, that he called for the sacred gold and silver vessels. These were pitchers and drinking cups that had been plundered from the temple by the Babylonians in, I think, 605 B.C., and he called to have them taken out of storage, so to speak. You know, this was kept in storage at the, in the palace so that he and his guests could drink a toast to their pagan deities. They could drink a toast to their gold and silver gods, the gods of bronze and iron, the gods of wood and stone. And wouldn't you know it, in turn, it got God's attention real quick. In fact, within the hour, Belshazzar had no Doubt several and several of his guests, excuse me, Belshazzar and several of his guests, no doubt, saw the supernatural hand of God appear, and it wrote this message on the wall: "Many, many tekel ufarsin." Now the, I'm gonna, we're going to go over the pronouncement of ufarsin uh, later on, but it's not you don't the, the U is silent, but every time I look at it, I manage to say it. So uh, sorry about that. Now. This week, we're going we're gonna to finish the chapter. It says, we're going to see Daniel being summoned out of retirement. Remember, Daniel is still here. He's an old man. He's in it, probably in his mid-80s. And he's going to be summoned out of retirement to do what he does. And that's, in this case, interpret the words and describe God's judgment on Babylon. And this will, of course, revolt, result in the fall of what uh, the prophet Jeremiah referred to as the golden cup in the Lord's hand. That's how the, God described this great kingdom that was made possible because of God. Now the Babylonian kingdom will now give way to the silver kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire. 
Unlike his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, who granted 12 months, who was granted by God, 12 months to repent of his ways and to recognize God for who he is, that's the most high God, there are no other gods, this young Belshazzar, unfortunately, would not have the same opportunity because, and at the end, we're going to see his judgment, the judgments, God's judgment upon him would become very swift and final. So let's read our passage Daniel 5, 13 through 31. It says, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who, is the one, uh, who was one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Well then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and I will make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, actually his grandfather, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was like the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent to him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin, or Peres. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have made, been weighed and in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Well, Heavenly Father, you have recorded this uh, 
this true and accurate history, Lord, in your word. Uh, You've given us uh, the details that we needed to know about who you are and how you function in the kingdoms of men. And Lord, I pray that we will always remember that as we look around our world and we see the chaos and we see the trouble. We all know that you're the same God who was and always will be, so you haven't changed. And you function in a specific way in the kingdoms of men. And you raise nations and you take down nations. You raise up rulers and you take them down. And so, Father, we just want to acknowledge that right up front, that as we read this, we take it to heart for our own lives. We look for application of these great principles that we learn from the lives of these men who lived, you know, 25, 2,600 years ago. And we take your holy word to heart. And may it change us. And may it draw us closer to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. So here we have Daniel before the king. Um, notice he was, Daniel was brought before the king. This is the accepted protocol in the ancient Near East, and it would be in any place for that matter, a place of power. You had to be invited. You couldn't just waltz in on the king. Now in verse 12 of last week, we, we noticed that the queen mother had exhorted her son or grandson, Belshazzar, to use the one resource he had neglected. I mean, you know, this, the world was crashing in. Uh, not only were the armies surrounding this great city, but they had just seen a supernatural sight. You know, not something you see every day, handwriting on a wall, an actual fingers, uh, human-like hands, writing into the wall, for, plain for everybody to see. But they were in a, in a quandary, and he was so shaken, if you remember, you know, his, his bones gave way, his knees were knocking. I mean, it was just like that, that cartoon. And so the queen heard all about this, and she came down, and she exhorted her, her grandson to use the resource he'd neglected. Daniel, or Belteshazzar, had, who had been an advisor to the great king Nebuchadnezzar for over 30 years now, but apparently had been put in semi-retirement of late. And remember, there were four successive kingdoms after Belshazzar, or, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar. And so there was a lot of, you know, hands changing of the guard, if you will. And so he, he calls him before him and he says, Are you that Daniel who was one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now, you know, right away, this, you still see his attitude towards Daniel, this great prophet of God, this great man of God. The attitude that he had, are you, are you one of the captives from Judah? Now, this indicates to us sort of uh, ethnic tensions that still exist among, you know, between the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and the Jews. And it was likely that the Jews were kind of kept out of the loop, even though some of them, Daniel's companions and Daniel, were in the government positions. They were given government positions by the king. But it does seem strange that Belshazzar has to ask this question But we will see in verse 22 that he already knew all this. This is part of the problem why God's judgment had came so swiftly upon him. The impetuous and prideful young prince must have really believed that this Babylonian city was safe. That is, until his world had came crashing down upon him. In verse 14, he says it again. He says, oh, I've heard of you. Well, of course he'd heard of him. Uh, The queen mother made sure of that. And even, even the, you know, the, 
The worst criminals in the world, if you will, the, the baddest men or women, tend to want to listen to their mother or grandmother when she speaks. It just seems to work that way. Not in every case, I'm sure. But he says to him, you know, I have heard of you, and I've heard that the Spirit of God is in you, and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, we talked about this a little bit. Remember, the Spirit of God from a Chaldean, from a pagan polytheistic culture, they use the word Elah. It's Aramaic for God. But for them, it's not the big God, you know, the big G. It's the little G because they have many gods, many different gods. And so Belshazzar was uh, simply showing his colors, if you will. He's, he's got a polytheistic worldview, and it's being made apparent. Of course, this changes nothing about the truth of who Daniel's God truly is. But he says, in you is light and understanding. Light being illumination, which is a figure of speech for wisdom and insight or intelligence. And he says, you have excellent wisdom. This is, this is not just wisdom. This is surpassing, extraordinary, and extreme wisdom. Now, when we talk about wisdom and we talk about what the Bible has to say, uh, generically, wisdom is what people would consider somebody with insight, somebody with knowledge, somebody with good judgment. And it can apply to practical or spiritual concerns when we talk wisdom. We pray for wisdom all the time. We, we are told in the Bible that God loves to pour it out upon us. But the Bible mainly shows wisdom as a moral quality rather than intellectual. And we see in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 1.24, that Jesus actually personifies wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, it says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. We also note, as we said, moral wisdom is a gift from God. In James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know, that's a promise from God. When we seek God for wisdom, it says here in the word that he will actually give it to us. You know, a lot of times we pray, we pray very doubtful about situations, especially big concerns, you know, big decisions that have to be made in our lives that we encounter all the time and unexpected often. And here we have a promise from God that you can take to the bank, if you will, and just know that he will give it to you if you seek it from him and you ask him. Now, the wisdom being sought by this king is, is what you would call uh, occult knowledge, meaning hidden, hidden knowledge, uh, in the sense that Daniel could reveal what others could not. It was supernatural in the sense God had given Daniel the supernatural ability to not only interpret dreams that he hadn't heard spoken, but tell what, that what they mean. So simply uh, interpreting words on a wall uh, wouldn't seem to be a problem for Daniel, and we see that it won't be. But he says all these, all these attributes that he's, he's, he's telling Daniel, look, I've heard of you, and this is what's in you. I've, I've heard all the things you have. I've heard that you have light and understanding and excellent wisdom. And we, we said last week how important it is that we seek out those who we fellowship with. We seek out those who can give us those kind of things that have, you know, not just life experience, but have spent a long time walking with God 
and we can share it among one another as, as a body of believers. It says in verse 15, now the wise men, the astrologers. So he, he goes on and he, he basically rereads, he restates his predicament. They couldn't, you know, here's this terrible situation. He's so embarrassed in front of this massive crowd, this party that he's assembled. Uh, he's so frightened by seeing that, uh, the handwriting on the wall. And so he's just restating his predicament and the source of his anxiety. In verse 16, he goes on again. He says, I have heard of you. You can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Enigmas, I love that word. That's a kind of a cool word. We, we, that gets woven into novels and movies. It's kind of a neat word. He says, first of all, though, he starts out, notice, he goes, well, I've heard of you. Now, this is sort of a haughty attitude because the king is testing Daniel to see if he deserves such high praise. Because remember, this young prince had forgotten all about Daniel. His grandmother had to remind him of Daniel's abilities. And I've heard, of you, I've heard you give interpretations, give explanation or a solution, and explain enigmas. Enigmas. That is uh, King James Version. If you have a King James Version, uh, it says, dissolve doubts. And, and it's strange because the word, it literally means like a, a, like a hip joint or an elbow, a, a part of your body. That's the literal interpretation. It's figurative, figurative of a knot. And so it's sort of like untie this riddle or untie this knot. And newer interpretations say you have the ability to solve enigmas, meaning you have the ability to solve problems, you know, just throwing away all that old understanding and just say, hey, Gaga knows how to solve problems. And he says, now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck. And you'll also be the third ruler in the kingdom. Again, this proves that he was not the king of the empire of Babylon because he couldn't give away second in charge. Um, now, again, when we, when we look at this passage, you can't help but notice these attributes that both the queen and Belshazzar and his grandfather before them are using to describe Daniel. In verse 14, it says that the spirit of God is in you, that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Why is that? Well, we know that the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. He had an excellent spirit. In other words, he was living an obedient life before God. And even though Daniel was at this time of his life kind of living in obscurity, because by now he was old and he was probably being overlooked or forgotten. That happens, unfortunately, for older folks. Um, but he was still nearby. He was still in the area. You know, he didn't, he didn't depart. Uh, he was still in exile, but he was in Babylon. But here's the most important thing I think you can understand from this. He was still ready to be made useful. All right? And that's a question for all of us. And it really doesn't matter where you are in life, whether you're sought after or whether you're being overlooked. Are you ready to be made useful by God? Because what other people think of us is important, but it's not nearly as important as what God thinks of us. And so I would like to encourage those of you maybe to hear this message, maybe here today, don't let pride, don't let disappointment, or even a lack of recognition from people cause you to put yourself on the sidelines. Because there's always a need. It's a sad story. And we've seen it uh, kind of from the start of COVID and the fallout from COVID. There's a whole bunch of people, you talk to pastors all over the place, 
In, in light of the COVID thing, in light of all the lockdowns, many Christians have decided to find something else to do on Sunday or Wednesday. They've decided that they have other things they would rather do with their time. And, and some of it does stem from this particular issue. When we see Daniel, he was still ready to be and willing to be used by God. And life is going to hit us hard, you know, at various times. It's really, going to, it's really going to hurt us sometimes. The reality of life, whether it's aging or whether it's unexpected news. But don't let that disappointment put you on the sidelines. God has, he's always, you know, we say it all the time, God has a plan for your life. And he does. He has a place for you to serve in the body of Christ, in your community, in your family. And many of you are already doing that, so don't try to, I'm not trying to like say something special. There's no hidden meaning in what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, don't let disappointment or lack of recognition cause you to be, you know, off to the side. Well, notice here in chapter, uh, verse 17, Daniel answered, and he said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Now, this is where Daniel, this wise old servant of the Lord, begins to rebuke this young king. First of all, he says, let your gifts be for yourself. Now, normally you would never say that to somebody who's in a position of royalty and not an absolute monarch, by the way. And he says, give your rewards to another. In other words, I, he's not motivated by any form of reward, which is another sign about how we view service for the Lord, how we view doing things that God has called us to do. And he says, yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. I'll do what you ask. In verse 18, though, he says, O king. Now, notice, most of the time as we've been reading this letter, this, this book from Daniel, uh, this, the book of Daniel, we've, we've seen that when somebody approaches the king and enters the king's court, one of the standard salutations would be, O king, live forever. Well, he omits the live forever. Because Daniel knows what's going to happen this very night. And so he starts out, O king, a mild amount of respect, but not live forever. And then he says, the most high God, and then he goes on to tell him, you know, he's going to start to lecture the king. He says, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, who was actually his grandfather, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. Now, with all this talk of gods, and, and in that culture, you know, gods were everywhere. Temples built, uh, statues, figure, every there were just everything. As we talk, you know, all the elements, all the things that the people treasured became their gods. And with all this talk of gods, Daniel affirms the superiority of the God of Israel over all others. And he says, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty. Now, this kingdom is what we talked about. It's called the Golden Kingdom. It was described earlier in our study in chapter 2. It was the dream that the king had of this huge image with the various composite parts, the head of gold, the chest of silver, the arms of bronze, the legs of iron, the, you know, the toes of clay, describing these great empires in the, in the history of the world. And so this second empire is going to be uh, taking over the Medo-Persian. Medo but he says, I have given him a kingdom. And remember, God sets up who he will set up, and he takes down who he will take down. 
And he used the Babylonian kingdom and he used Nebuchadnezzar for his purposes because the nation Israel was disobedient. And so he brought them into 70 years of captivity, just as the, the, the uh, prophets had been saying for decades. It's now happened. And he says, it was majesty, which is greatness. It was glory, which is esteem, which is honor. It's magnificent. That's what was given to this King Nebuchadnezzar by God. But then he says, and because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples and nations, everyone, he had them under control. They all trembled and feared before him. This level of greatness was so high that he was an absolute monarch. We've said it over and over again, over most of the known world at that time. And notice, even, even to the details of like whoever he wished, in other words, he could make it happen. He could effectively do whatever he pleased. He could execute. He could kill people. He could keep them alive. He could exalt people. He could bring them low and subdue them and humble them. But all of that to say in verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, things started to change. To be lifted up meaning to exalt oneself, to be arrogant. His spirit was hardened. In other words, his spirit grew strong in its own, his mind, you know, in his mind, he was, he was made to uh, be prideful and presumptuous on God. And that's one thing, you know, we, we say the word presumptuous, we are never to be presumptuous upon God. And as a result, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. He was cast down, and he lost his honor and his self-esteem. And then verse 21 describes it once again. He was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts. You know, and then this is a retelling several, uh, you know, 20-some-odd uh, years later to Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. This is what happened. They fed him with the grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. His madness made him act out the role of an animal in a way that he, the way he ate and the way he slept. The way he ate and the way he slept was actually played out until something happened. It says, till he knew, till he fully understood that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. Now we talk about God and we know that God is, he's the ruler of all the heavens. He's the creator of all things. But also notice, he also rules in the kingdom of men. We, can't, we cannot forget that when you read the headlines, because it's confusing. Because we know that the enemy is at work as well in rebellion against God. But God rules behind it in the kingdom of men. When you see that press conference with that great world leader talking to the other world leader, God is active. Keep in mind. And he appoints over it whomever he chooses. Whoever will be the president of the United States, whoever will be the, the czar of Russia, whoever will take over the Ukraine. All the things that are happening, the Lord appoints over whomever he chooses. But you've got to ask yourself the question, why would God give someone that much power? Why would he do that? You know, he's a risk taker, isn't he? He allows us, because of his love for us, his great love for us, he allows us to make decisions that could be wrong or right. But why would he give so much power? 
Well, because he can and because his plans and purposes will always prevail. He would show the world and all of history that he is sovereign over the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of men. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. It says here, like we said, verse 21, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Now, when he finally understood that, when he finally knew that this is the truth and he came to acknowledge God for who he was, notice what he said back in verse 37 of chapter 4. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Well, next we see the scales of justice. God is a just God. He, he's not, you know, uh, some of the, the things we may think he is. The Bible says that he is just and righteous and perfect in his judgment. If he's a perfect God, he can't make mistakes. Not a single one, whether it's justice or the purpose and plans for your life. Verse 22 but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. His grandfather humbled himself before God, and he was restored, is what he did. This was not going to be the case for Belshazzar. Because he says, although you knew all this. I don't, you know, in other words, you understood these principles. You know the truth. You know what was going on. But he refused to do what? He refused to repent. And now, because he was given a chance and he knew all these, time had run out and now he would no longer be given another chance to repent. That's chilling. This is an open and shut case of God's judgment on a person. You see, folks, we're all held responsible for what we know. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do well and does not do it, to him it is sin. That kind of covers it all. We're responsible for what we know. Now Daniel is going to, in verse 23, he's going to repeat the crime that was committed. You know, it's sort of like a court. There's a court being held right here before the king. And he says, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've come directly against God. And then he says what he did, they brought the vessels out of the house, they drank wine with everybody. They, they used these holy vessels, these sacred vessels that God had commissioned to be fabricated, which we're studying in the book of Exodus now, on Wednesdays. And they just went directly in the face of God and went directly against him. And then he, he describes their gods that they don't see, they don't hear, they don't know. In 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6, Paul talks about offering meat to idols. He says, therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols... He's addressing a congregation in a very pagan culture. Again, Corinthians had temples to all their gods. They would offer food to their idols. And he says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom all are, are all things, and we for him and the, the one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. One God. 
And so back to our text, and he says, And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways, you have not glorified. You know, when we sing that song, it's your breath in our lungs. But that, we're, we, we are trying to glorify God because he's the one who's given us life. Acts 17, 28. The God who holds your breath. It says, Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. This was Paul speaking to the, the Gentiles in Athens. Now, uh, Warren Wiersbe kind of sums up what we've talked about so far. Nebuchadnezzar showed his pride by boasting about his achievements and taking credit for what God had helped him to accomplish. Remember, he stood over and he looked at this great city. He goes, oh, this great kingdom that I've created. But his grandson displayed his pride by desecrating the holy vessels from the temple of the Most High God and treating the Lord with contempt. Actually, treating the Lord with contempt. By using the vessels of the true God to praise the idols of Babylon, the king was guilty of both blasphemy and idolatry. Remember, the unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It is treating God with contempt and everything that he may offer to you by way of salvation that you could turn your nose up to him. In fact, you would blaspheme his name and not even think twice about it. Then this king was guilty of both blasphemy and idolatry by ignoring by ignoring that he knew of the Babylonian royal history. He knew, he had been told, he had been briefed on his way in. You know, if you took command over this great uh, society in this city, you would have an in-brief by all your uh, elders and prior, uh, you know, typically if you kept it in the, in the family, so to speak, you would understand all these things. And so what did he do? He displayed his ignorance. Belshazzar acted as though he was in command of his life and that it would go on for many more years. A very dangerous position. Yet the very breath in his mouth was controlled by the hand of God. And then verse 24, you know, we know it. The fingers of the hand were sent from him, God, and that this writing was written. Now he's going he's to say, you know, basically it settles the question of who wrote this. Who wrote these, these writings? Well, this was God. So first Daniel is going to read the writing again. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Peres. I know how it's spelled, but Peres is how it's pronounced. One, one uh, commentator put it this way, using that word enigma. He said the enigm enigmatic message is this. What he's saying is a mina, a mina, a shekel, and two halves. That's, that's what he said. And it refers to units of measure. But when he, goes to trans when he goes to interpret, he's going to use the verbal forms of those same words to describe, right? Because when you change it from just a, a, measure, a weight of measure, it says to number, to weigh, and to, to divide. To number, to weigh, and to divide. And so now we get, you know, thankfully we get the interpretation. You don't have to hear it from me, so to speak. Verse 26, this is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. The duration of his kingship has now been determined. God's appraisal is that Belshazzar is an insufficient ruler. 
So he is going to strip the kingdom from him and divide it between the Medes and the Persians. He's actually going to divide it in half. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. His moral character has been analyzed and he's coming up short. Now, David Guzik says this, a mighty army and brilliant tactics overcame the Babylonian empire, yet it still fell from within. The armies of the Medes and Persians could only conquer because Belshazzar and his kingdom were found lacking in spiritual and moral values. And that's what gets us upset these days when we see our nation. And when our nation lacks spiritual and moral values, it could may well spell trouble for any nation. 28. Peres. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now, why does it look like it says Uparsin, but it's written Perez this next time? Well, because Daniel's now using the singular Perez instead of the uh, plural or dual of Perez, if that makes any sense. Probably not. It's a language thing, and I'm not an expert. The surface meaning of the terms is clear enough, referring to the weights in the sense of currency. The puzzle is the significance of the words for Belshazzar and his guests. Daniel explains the message by playing on the verbal meanings, being numbered, being weighed, and being divided. And then he said, your kingdom has been divided, and it will be given to the Medes and Persians. So now, the second great kingdom in the history of man will not be an absolute monarchy. It would be a co between the Medes and the Persians, so you'd have multiple leaders. And so he takes the kingdom and he divides it in half and gives it to the Medes and the Persians. So the Lord himself is doing this. The Lord himself is behind this. The, great, the Most High God is in charge. He is in charge. Notice, as we wind down here. It says that Belshazzar then gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck. And, and you think, you know, here's maybe, maybe his, his pride and his arrogance is starting to diminish in light of what's happening, in light of what he just heard. And so even though Daniel didn't want these things, he wasn't going to turn them down. Um, he had already had a high position in the government. We're going to see that uh, in the next couple of chapters. But notice what happens to this prideful, young, arrogant man who came against God, directly against God. It says that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom. And he happened to be about 62 years old when that happened, Darius himself. Um, so the historical date was uh, many would say was October 12th 539 BC something to keep in mind uh, Daniel's interpretation of the handwriting was not a warning to the king like his grandfather received but rather it was a pronouncement of judgment he was being sentenced by God the day for warning and a hoped-for repentance was now over. The king had gone too far in his sinful behavior beyond the point of ever repenting. As a result, the Lord had to judge him 
And Belshazzar was to immediately feel God's hand of judgment falling upon him. One writer put it this way. He said, there are times when God gives warnings in order to bring sinners to repentance, such as when he sent Jonah to Nineveh. But there are also times when his warnings are final and divine judgment is now determined. When God warned Nebuchadnezzar about his pride and unconcern for the poor, he gave the king a year in which to repent and seek God's forgiveness. The king refused to humble himself and judgment fell. But when Daniel confronted Belshazzar, he offered him no way of escape. Now, if, if you're an unbeliever, and perhaps maybe you're here today or you, you hear, hear this message on the internet, or maybe you consider yourself to be a Christian, you grew up in the church, then I have a question for you and for me in light of the things we've just learned. Did you know that the Bible, which is God's word, also contains handwriting on the wall that applies to every person who lives in the age, to, lives to be of the age of accountability. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Belshazzar was found weighed and wanting, or he was, excuse me, weighed, he was weighed and found wanting. He would pay the price for disregarding God, and he would be judged for his sins. And the same applies to all humankind because each is born under the curse of sin. Romans 3.10 As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 64.6 But we are all like an unclean thing and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. If we think we're good, if we think we're you know, a, a good person or we've done it, we're a religious person. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The question each of us must ask is this. When God weighs me in the balance, will I be found wanting? And the only people who can measure up to God's standard are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Any who have not trusted Christ as their personal Savior will be found lacking and deficient, and they will be rejected by the Lord. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Remember, God is a righteous judge who cannot compromise with those who refuse to repent and admit their guilt before him. Ecclesiastes 3.17, I have said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Now, now thankfully, many of us know this. Thankfully, God, we know him as merciful. And those who confess and repent of their sins... And we know that he has made a way that only he could. He's merciful to those who confess and repent of their sins before him. And he made a way by sending his only begotten son to come and pay the price we deserve on the cross at Calvary. 
Only this could satisfy, satisfy the wrath of God. And he has offered the gift of complete forgiveness of your sins and eternal salvation to all who would receive it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you will place your trust in him alone, you will have this. You can, you can take his promises. We, we talk about his promises. Romans 10, 11 through 13 says, For scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the, the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's offer to us. And we need to be reminded of that because it is so good. He is such a good God. And so as we prepare to take communion this morning, we'll have a time uh, for you to come up. We're going to play some special music. We'll have a time for you to come up and return to your seats together. And we're going to have, uh, you know, again, we're going to sit at the Lord's table, the table that he set for us. Well, let's bow our heads and pray as we close. Lord, we thank you for today's scriptures, Lord. We thank you for what you've given us. And I pray, Lord God, that it's had its designed effect on our hearts and minds, Lord, whatever that leads to, whether that leads simply to repentance, whether it leads simply to rejoicing and just knowing that you're secure in his love and knowing that his promises are true, or whether it leads to conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit for someone who has maybe fallen away from you or someone who has never surrendered their life unto you. Lord, I pray that your word uh, would claim the promise that it will not return void, even today. Please go before us. As we prepare our hearts now for communion this morning, Lord, we, we come to you with humble hearts. I pray that we're humble before you, that we would recognize you as the Most High God, and that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the captain of our soul. And so, Lord, as we partake together as a church family, we ask that you would simply go before us. And we pray this now in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.